Sal Berry. The set is not what you think it is. And Tim Parrish. The set, it kills me. Every year this comes out, I feel like it's a mess. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry, and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about the 2022-23 Upper Deck Synergy Hockey Card Set. We're also going to talk about a few other things in this episode. Tim, what's the latest and or the greatest? Just nice and fine, like an expensive bottle of wine. Ah, I love it. You know... Our episode from last week about the 21-22 Upper Deck Ice Set actually had a pretty good listenership. I mean, as of this recording, that episode's only been out for a couple of days. Takes me a little while between us recording and then me editing and me getting it online. But uh, So the last episode isn't even a week old, and yet it has some pretty good listenership. And I started looking at this thing called chartable you actually got me to look at it a while ago and i've started looking at it again and it like ranks all the podcasts and i gotta tell you i had no idea that like we were actually getting ranked in hockey podcasts on apple Podcasts. so you know there's apple podcasts there's spotify there's amazon music etc etc there's all the different podcast providers but Apple's the big one. Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, is the big one. And I never really looked at the rankings, partially because I didn't have the time to do that and partially because I didn't want to be depressed. But there have been some times where we've cracked the top 100 hockey podcast episodes in the U.S. and cracked the top 100 hockey podcast episodes in Canada. So I'm actually (laughs) pleasantly surprised to find that out. So I want to thank all of you who've listened to this show and have helped push our numbers up and us, instead of us being like podcast number 9,998, we're now like hanging anywhere between 60 and 150 to maybe not even being ranked, but still we're, we're in the mix now. So thank you. Yeah. And in our defense, I mean, if you look at everybody that's ahead of us, the vast majority of those have guests on their show that are current players, ex-players, the shows are run by players. You know, there aren't very many of them ahead of us that are just two schlubs that like hockey cards and like to talk about hockey cards. So, yes, I echo that sentiment. And the fact that people are willing to give us their time and put forth the effort to care about what we have to say, it's amazing. And I thank everybody that listens. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that. We are a hockey and hockey card podcast. Sometimes we talk about one. Sometimes we talk about the other. Sometimes we talk about both. But the fact that we are, we're a hockey card podcast and we're in the mix with these team focused podcasts and then also these league wide podcasts. I mean, obviously Spit and Chicklets is the king of hockey podcasts, but then you have Missing Curfew, Empty Netters, you have The Athletic, Cam and Strick, Rink Shrinks, After the Whistle, Dropping the Gloves. So like all of these are like big time, you know, and the fact that we're like, eh, we're kind of inching up there, you know, and then I, as I scroll down the list, I see like a lot of these are like, well, okay, you got Don Cherry's Grapevine, and then you got like, again, team specific stuff, you got Puck Soup, 
So I guess the point is, is that for us being kind of like a niche of a niche, but to still factor into that larger niche, you're right. That is kind of impressive. So yay. Yay us. (laughs) Yay us. Yay the listeners. That's what I say. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, You know, and every, every review you write, every time you rate us, it helps. So keep listening, keep clicking that like button. If there's such a thing on whatever you listen to our show on. And if you have a chance to type in, you know, a review, forget about reviewing stuff on Amazon. I don't mean us on Amazon music. You could review us there too, but I mean, instead of reviewing the next backpack you buy on Amazon, review our next episode on Amazon music or wherever you listen to this podcast. Absolutely. Okay, so you sent me some news this morning. I didn't get a chance to look too hard at it, but I guess Connor McDavid was playing in a beer league game recently. Yeah, can you actually believe that? Why would he do that? It actually happens more often than more often than not. You'll see NHL players that'll jump in and beer league games around their hometowns and things like that. Apparently, the one that he has gone to was near Newmarket, which is close to where he's from and there have been other other players involved in that over the years i think jason robertson's played in that before and currently the opposing team that he played against uh, had quentin byfield from the kings Mm -hmm. so those of you wondering you know how he fared against a bunch of beer leaguers his team lost so yeah they lost nine to four believe it or not and he was wearing jersey number four. And there's video out there on Instagram and TikTok and all those things that if you want to go out there and search for it, you can find it. But, yeah, he shows up to the Beer League hockey title game and his team that he jumped into actually lost. Now, of course, one would say, how in the world is arguably the best player in the NHL and possibly the entire world going to lose? to a bunch of ham and eggers in a beer league. Well, local onlookers all admitted that he was probably going about 10%, maybe, if that. Playing defense, maybe? Like playing back on D instead of playing center? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if he's playing, if he's, if if Connor McDavid at 10% could get beat by beer leaguers, well, I don't know. He was probably less than 10%. He's probably like 2%. If he the, kicked it up to like 10 or 15, he probably would have smoked everybody out there. But I, I, I it's just a funny he, thing. You know, you hear that, you're like, oh, he played against a bunch of beer league players. I yeah. wonder if Quentin Byfield was giving it 100% when he saw that Connor McDavid was on the other side. Or he probably knew ahead of time. But, you know, if if you're like a young NHL player and you look on the other team and there's like the best player out there. It's just like, Oh hell no, we can't lose to this guy. Or <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I mean, it's motivation to play better, but I mean, think about this. Hey, you play beer league hockey, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, occasionally you'll get guys that played like semi pro or maybe made it as far as like the ECHL or something of that nature. And they played one game. Those guys are still, when they go out there, those guys are a thousand times better than all the, you know, the rec guys that play because of where they made it to. That just tells you how good the talent is that actually gets to the NHL. 
Right. I mean, it's such there's such a separation between skill levels. So now you're going to have all these <laughs> all these big league guys, these plugs that just go out there and they're like think that they can be better than an NHL player because they beat Connor McDavid. That's just one of those stories that's just funny that you hear it. And then you're like, yeah, come on. He went out there and tied his skates together and skated backwards the entire time because it doesn't make any sense. He shot on his offhand, maybe. Yeah, maybe he used the left-handed stick. Or I guess he is left-handed. He used the right-handed stick, whatever. He used Sidney Crosby's stick that has no bend to it. I'll tell you two quick beer league stories. Well, one is a story that never really happened, and the other one is kind of a a short story that I wish was longer. But the first story, the story that didn't happen or almost happened but didn't, I used to run a pickup game with me and other beer leaguers of similar skill levels. We kind of all started playing together as adults. And then as, you know, I got better and, you know, I started adding better people to the mix because you need better players to, like, carry the water, so to speak. But it was it was a good, fun game. But one of the guys that used to play with us regularly he said, hey, I need a favor. I'm like, what? He's like, I work with former Blackhawks goaltender Murray Bannerman, and he's going to be doing a charity game. And can he come play with us? Because he just needs to get back on the ice. It's been a while since he's been on the ice. And he just kind of needs like a tune-up game, like nothing super competitive. I mean, this guy's, you know, he's probably like in his 60s now or whatever. Just um, something to stretch out. Right? Just something to stretch out. And, and I was just like, yeah, man, just tell me what I need to do, you know? But then it just ended up not happening for whatever reason. But I was like, oh man, that would have been so cool to say that I got robbed by a former Blackhawk goaltender. That was one story that, like I said, never happened. But the other story I'll tell you is that one of the beer leagues I used to play in, I used to captain a team. My team was called Blades of Steel. And one of the other teams, they called themselves the Whalers. And they used, like, the Hartford Whalers logo. And that was just their logo. And they were green or whatever. Well, anyways, the captain of that team, his neighbor was former Chicago Cubs pitcher Ryan Dempster. Do you remember him? Of course. He does the best Harry Carey impression I've ever heard. So Dempster's from Canada. He's a big hockey fan. He played hockey as a kid. And so... He had Dempster on his roster as a sometimes player, not like a regular player, but he'd always refer to him as Dumpster just to kind of like disguise his name. You know, he'd refer to him as Dumpster. But I remember this one day, you know, this one guy skates out with them that I didn't recognize before. And, you know, everybody's wearing full facial protection. I can't remember if if he did or not, but he's wearing number 44. And I wear number 44 because that's my lucky number. But he's wearing 44. And I'm like, ah, okay. And I thought it was him, but I wasn't sure. And then after the game, the team captain introduced me. But my brush with greatness, so to speak, was when I collided with Ryan Dempster in front of the net. I can't remember if he was carrying the puck around our net and I was coming back on defense. And I think he came around and I hit the brakes, but my chest kind of hit him in the shoulder or maybe he hit me. Maybe he turned and hit me with his shoulder to just stop me from knocking him over or whatever. I mean, neither of us fell. So I could say, Hey, I, I, at least I didn't lose my footing, 
But, you know, after the game, I apologized. I said, hey, man, I know this is no check. I wasn't trying to run into you. I'm just a shitty hockey player, and I don't stop too well. So I wasn't trying to slam into you. I just can't stop on a dime. He's like, oh, yeah, no problem, man. He didn't even, you know, he wasn't even um, worried about that. And, you know, then he was telling me about, like, charity hockey games, and he talked about, like, one charity game that he did where, like, he got to play on a line with, like, I can't remember if he said it was Yarmir Yager or Yari Curry, or maybe it was both, or I, I, I don't know. But he, he had like I think it was Yerke Lume. Maybe. But, you know, I asked him, like, why do you wear number 44? He's like, oh, because I grew up, I was a big fan of Dave Babich, defenseman who wore number 44. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. Now that I think about it, I think he had Babich on the back of his jersey, just so it wasn't his own name. And I was just like, yeah, okay, Babich, 44, Whalers, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I got it. And probably the guys actually playing on that Whalers beer league team didn't, but whatever. Fun fact about Ryan Dempster. Yeah. I am two months older than him. Oh, no way. Yeah. That makes me old, feel old because he's retired and was a successful ball player. And I am neither of those things. Nope, but you are a moderately successful podcaster now, according to these stats on Chartable. So, yay. <laughs> Apparently. So, talk to me about this Dan O'Rourke thing. Former referee Dan O'Rourke doing a charity thing. Yeah. Now, let me preface this by saying that this is, must be my warped sense of humor coming through, because when I heard this story, it made me laugh. And I'll let you be the judge for whether or not it's funny or not. But Dan O'Rourke, longtime NHL referee. Okay, referee, I said. He's doing a charity bike ride. It's a 45-day bike ride across the country. He's so he's not the whole country, but he's going from like Santa Monica, California to Chicago. And it started on July 27th. He was actually on the radio this morning on NHL Network Radio talking about it. But he's doing this for to benefit the um, National Foundation of the Blind. And I'll dramatically pause there for the laughter. No, nothing? Crickets? Okay. Yeah, I just thought it was really cool. Um, you know, it's got a, it's kind of got an NHL connection, but I could barely ride a bike one mile let alone he's going down Route 66. So, you know, you can trace Route 66 basically the whole way across the country. So he's taking it from California all the way to Chicago. So it's pretty cool. No, that Those is... don't remember him. He's been in the league forever. I mean, he, I think he started back in the late 90s. So, but he's documenting like the whole entire ride on also all of his social medias and stuff to raise money for the NFB and the kids that are part of the Braille Enrichment for Literacy and Learning, which is uh, the Bell Academy, which is uh, the program that they do through the foundation. So it's a really good charity. But again, maybe that's my warped sense of finding it funny that a referee is giving back to foundation for the blind. Okay, yeah. so I, I got to interject here. I got to explain the joke just in case you don't get it. So the joke is that referees are blind. Ha ha. Everybody I, has to get that joke. Right. I even remember in, in uh, the movie Youngblood when the, the ref and two linesmen skates out and uh, the coach, Chadwick, says to the assistant coach, the three blind mice, 
<laughs> as the refs come out. So, and I think I think even Rinks maybe once upon a time might have even played that when the referees would come out, they'd play like three blind mice on the organ. Yes, it's a dad joke, maybe, but it's funny. I laughed out loud when I heard it. So another thing that I want to talk about, you brought this to my attention today because I am kind of paying attention to the whole Panini versus Fanatics thing, but you're really paying attention to it. In fact, if you haven't already done so, read these two articles that Tim wrote about Panini versus Fanatics. Like you've written two long articles about them, like not long, like boring, but thorough, like very well detailed one of them, you give like a timeline of everything that's going on. And I feel like you're going to have to like write a third piece to this because you're kind of documenting what's going on and making it easy for someone like me who just was like, oh, yeah, this is going on. But you're like actually taking all these different parts and like putting it together and synthesizing it into a story. Why don't you talk about the latest thing that's going on with Panini? Well, and that's the thing. It's a never ending. It's going to be a never ending thing until it's over. And it's not going to ever be over until somebody's not standing any longer. And that seems to be getting closer to closer to being the toasty sandwich company. Because what was announced today, and to me, this came out of left field. Like, it completely came out of left field. But the NFLPA, so the National Football League Players Association, announced today that it has severed its contract with Panini and has moved the rights to manufacture NFLPA licensed trading cards to Fanatics. Now, those of you that already kind of know what's been going on or sort of know what's going on, you're probably thinking, well, Fanatics was getting the license anyway. Yeah, but not yet. And there's a whole slew of products that are in the hopper, so to speak, that should be coming out for this year's football season. And this announcement is effective immediately, according to what was posted by the NFLPA. So I have a million questions, obviously, none of which are really answered yet, um, at least as of this recording. And I'm sure as the days go on, we'll find out more and more about really what this boils down to. But essentially, this email went out to all agents that have any type of claim in the whole matter. and. What that really means is the NHLPA is telling all of its agents to tell all of its clients that unless you have your own agreement with Panini to be a licensed, I don't know what you would call it, a licensed property, I guess that's mm-hmm. the wrong word, a licensed signer or a licensed image, like your image can be used, right. then you're done with Panini. So unless you have a separate agreement with them, they've terminated their deal three years ahead of schedule and they're handing their license over to Fanatics. So I don't know. I mean, you have multiple lawsuits going on. Fanatics files a counter lawsuit against Panini. And now a few days later, essentially, 
somehow, some way, the NFLPA just says, you know what? Screw you, Panini. We're going with Fanatics too. So I don't know. I don't know what to think about this. Like on one hand, I think it's Fanatics turning screws in the background because why not? That's what they're doing. You put all this immense pressure on all your competition to just make them go away and to force them out of business and to force them into a position where they're going to have to sell their company, even though they've been trying to sell, but they want too much for it, apparently. So no one's buying and Fanatics wants it for pennies on the dollar. What better way to devalue it than to wipe them out in their ability to make a product? So that's the first thing I think. Second thing I think is with all these Panini products that are ready to come out, like Prism that's supposed to come out or Select or Mosaic or all the popular brands that they do for football, how many of these have already been printed? I mean, early releases like Score and stuff like that, there's probably pallets of it sitting in a warehouse ready to ship at this point. With them terminating this agreement, that's a complete termination. Like a complete termination. If you and I have an agreement, if I say, hey, you have the rights to make these football cards. And you go, okay. And you're like, okay, you have the rights for the next three years. And you go, okay. And then you make the cards. And then I say, okay, now you can't sell them. It's like, well, no, I already incurred the expense to produce these things. So now I have to sell them. It's like you can't order a pizza and then change your mind and not pay for it when they get to your door. I don't think that's exactly what's happening here. But you have to remember, this is not like the guy that ordered a pizza from the local pizza joint. This is the NFLPA. They have some of the best lawyers in the entire world working for them because they have to deal with NFL players and teams and essentially an organization that owns its own day of the week, right? right? So you could guarantee when they made this deal, there had to be some kind of out clause in there. And these lawyers went through it with a fine tooth comb. Otherwise they would know right off the bat, if they did this now, they were going to incur a ton of lawsuits coming their way from Panini. And if they were willing to take that risk, you know, they already looked at it and saw what the damages would end up being as a result of it. Because here's the thing, precedent was already set for this. It happened before. Panini's going to get sued if they release products and they'll probably lose because they're going to have to have the consent of, of the NFLPA if they're going to do a product that's a typical product because they have the NFL license. So, okay, great. They can put out product that has logos and helmets and jerseys and everything else. But if you can't put the players on it, now what are you left with? Non-current players? Like you can do alumni? So all of their sets are now going to be like throwback sets. I'm sorry, but we like that in hockey, but I don't think other sports like it that much. So this kind of happened before, if you remember, there was the the lawsuit with, was it Upper Deck? When they put out, uh, was it 20, 2009 or 2010, they put out that baseball set. I think it was 2009. Yeah. Whenever that was. So there was like an issue with that. Upper Deck had a lot of problems with tops back then because Upper Deck used the 7980 tops design for its retro OPG inserts. And uh, they got in trouble with tops for that. There was some sort of settlement or agreement or something. But 
after that, they didn't make any of their Opeachy retro cards look like old tops and Opeachy designs from the 70s and the 80s. And then there was also um, Upper Deck was selling baseball cards after their license with the Players Association, if I remember correctly. Yeah, had so expired. it was right. So it was in 2009 because that's when Tops was named Major League Baseball Properties exclusive licensee right. for 2010 forward. Right. So Upper Deck, who still had the the MLBPA license, they announced that regardless, we have no intention of stopping making baseball cards, so we're going to mm-hmm. keep doing it. And then 2009, and then 2010 came around. And then later on, I think it was MLBP told Upper Deck, you're going to be in some serious trouble if you put out any more product. And so they had to basically can everything that was in development. Because I think if I remember correctly, they had multiple SP products that were supposed to come out that year. Like SP, SPX, probably a game used. And all of that like was done. So there's, I mean, there's kind of precedent here of a company like going ahead and putting stuff out anyway as a result. So I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Maybe they cut a deal on the side. I guess we'll find out more as as time goes on. So if something comes out tomorrow, <laughs> yeah, we've yeah. already recorded, then who knows? But I want to just say this really quick. The timing is not a coincidence. Probably not. No, because Panini and Fanatics are at war right now. The NFLPA already said we're throwing in with Fanatics once our current deal ends. And now they're saying, you know what, we're ending our current deal now. So, I mean, this is like when you're fighting somebody, you get other people to fight them too, to divert their focus, to reduce their funds that they can throw towards you in a lawsuit. Even if the Players Association thing is a frivolous lawsuit, or if they're breaking a contract and they're like, all right, we're breaking this contract, so sue us. Well, that takes time and money and resources and attention away from the other problem. Well, how do you win a war? You stretch the other army out so thin that they can't fight. I mean, that's really what this is. Yeah. But, you know, I brought up before that this raises a lot of other questions. Think about this. So Panini could put out an NFL licensed product that has old players on it, not current players. But now Fanatics getting the PA license, what are they going to do? Are they going to put out a football set of all current players like wearing pajamas? I mean, no, but hear me out on this. Because they can't use use the logos. Okay, so you don't picture the players with the helmets. Problem solved. Well, I'm not sure you can use the jerseys either, especially if they have logos or patches or anything on them. Jerseys don't have patches on the front. They have numbers. They have the sponsor patches on the fronts. Yeah, airbrush those out anyway. No one wants to see those. I remember That's what back- I'm saying. You have a non-licensed product, and they call it pajamas, like the players wearing pajamas, because essentially it's got no logos on it. In the, uh, I think it was 1990 Tops football, I remember uh, they didn't have the NFL license for that set, because I remember the cards on the back, on the bottom, with the copyright saying this product is not affiliated with the NFL. They didn't use the logos. They didn't use, they only used, like, just names. They would write the names. And most of the player shots are, like, close-ups. 
and you're right, they cut out helmets or showed players on sitting on a bench or better yet, we'll go back to a pro line set and we'll show everybody wearing their Zubas and working out. Those were pajamas. Exactly. Well, I was going to say, though, like prior to pro line and pro set, like football card photography was not the greatest in like the 60s, the 70s and the 80s. I mean, yeah, you did have a good action shot every now and then, but most of the time stage photos. Yeah, exactly. If you think of like the Joe Namath rookie card, which I believe he was in the hospital when they took that photo, they had him stand up and throw on a jersey and he kind of leaned against the wall and held a football and then they'd like cut him out from the wall if i remember that story correctly that he told but I mean, yeah how many cards have players they're doing this two hands forward in front of their face like they're ready to attack or the hand down in front of them is that yeah. the three-point stance i never played football so I, I don't know what it's called yeah if they have one on the ground yeah. yeah so the reason why we talk about this is because stuff that affects football and baseball and basketball eventually affects hockey in one way or another. I mean, all of these things are tied together. It's it's part of a, a grander ecosystem. Yes, I like that word. And I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people are probably sitting there going like, why are you talking about non-hockey things? Well, there's going to be a ripple effect for all of this. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's talk about synergy. Because I know it's a set that you never want to talk about. Because I know like when I had a box of 2122 Synergy a couple months back and I opened it and I posted a box break. I'm like, do you want to talk about Synergy? And you're like, no, not really. (laughs) I think one time you said about one set, I think it was 2021. You said, oh, yeah, uh, it didn't make me throw up in my mouth or something. Like that was the highest praise you, you would usually give this set. But Synergy has never been big on my radar simply because of i don't know i well i I guess i just don't think i don't like how it's been built let me explain that to the listeners and then you could say what you think about that but let me explain how the set is built so synergy comes eight packs per box so 22 23 synergy you get eight packs per box three cards per pack when it launched end of June, when the set came out, it was around a hundred bucks a box. Now it's hanging at about 85 bucks a box. So, I mean, you're looking at like 10 to $12 a pack, depending on when you bought it and for how much. Now, each pack contains three cards. In the box that I opened, it had a red parallel card and then two insert cards. And I'll talk more about that in, in a minute. They boast, you know, each box contains one numbered base set base set rookie sp red parallel auto or metal tech card exclamation point (laughs) and that run-on sentence that's not me talking in a run-on sentence that's how it's written it is a little confusing like it contains one numbered base set comma base set rookies sp dash red parallel comma auto or metal slash tech card exclamation point so it's just like Okay, so it might contain an autograph and it might contain something that it's telling you is as good as an autograph. Like, well, it didn't have an autograph, but it did have this tech card. Feel it. It feels like metal. It's a tech card, right? And then something new to this is this insert set called Cranked Up, which are printed on acetate. They're like clear plastic 
or, you know, some parts of them are clear. And you know me, I love the acetate cards. They always do it for me. I don't necessarily want them to be see-through. So anyway, so that's the, the ditty on the configuration. The only other thing I'm going to say real quick, though, is that the set is not what you think it is. When I open my box and I'm like, oh, okay, I got one red card per pack. I got eight red cards in this box. That must be the set because I got one in every pack. Well, then I flip them over and I go, oh, well, four of them have scratch-off codes because they're part of the bounty program. Okay, so these four must be parallels of the other four. But then, and oh, you're nodding your head no, and I get it now. And then I find out that the synergy set, the base set, is actually numbered. So here's the breakdown. There's 129 cards in synergy. Cards 1 through 60 are veterans, and they're numbered to 13, not 30, not 300, 13. Cards 61 through 75 are legends, like Wayne Gretzky, also serial numbered out of 13. 76 through 115 are rookie cards, serial numbered out of 23. 116 to 125 are short-printed rookie cards, also serial numbered out of 23, but if they both have the same serial number, how can one be a short print? Anyway, whatever. And then there's four redemption rookie cards at the end, which are also numbered out of 23. Now, these would be technically 126 through 129, but they don't have that numbering, but they're meant to be part of that set. So what I'm saying is that the so-called base cards for the set are serial numbered, and the cards that you seem to get an abundance of are actually parallels. That makes no sense to me. So that's what I want to say. And I don't know if that's what you don't like about the configuration, but that's what I don't like about the configuration. Because if you get the same red cards in every pack, as far as I'm concerned, this is the base set. Webster's Dictionary defines synergy as the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects, i.e. the synergy between artist and record company. One needs the other to survive in order to accomplish a goal. So therefore, synergy should be something that's cohesive and works together. But yet you just described something that makes no damn sense. Right? <laughs> right. Am I wrong on that? No. Okay. So based off of that, analysis alone that's why i find synergy to be weird now don't get me wrong i still collect the synergy cards for my penguins teams but that's it i don't really go and buy the boxes because i know that i don't want to get hit with all of this craziness and be trying to wonder should i scratch this off is this a bounty card is this the regular card why don't I have any base cards? Can I build this set? Well, no, this year I can't because there's 13 copies of base cards and there's parallels of those. And there's even parallels of the rookies. You didn't bring those up. The rookie portraits, the SPs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's 13 of each of those too. So, and, and I know you said you like the acetate cards. That's one thing in Synergy is always like, they're plasticky cards. So I will give them this. All of the releases, the cards are nice because they're the plasticky 
type feel to them. The plexi, not plexi, but what do they call that? It's not uh, really acetate, acetate or it's, PETG. Yeah, it's probably the PETG stuff. But it's, they call them acetate. Yeah, okay. That works too. But they're always that kind of thing. So the designs are kind of crazy and out there and they're supposed to be kind of techy. And that's fine. And I get that. But this set, it kills me. Every year this comes out, I look at it and I'm just like, I feel like it's a mess. I think most of our listeners know this, but I just want to explain this anyways, because we're always getting new hockey card collectors and they're finding this podcast. And, you know, so I like to kind of sometimes explain things that I take for granted that everybody knows they might not know. But usually it's like this. You have a set of cards and that set of cards, I mean, it'll have numbers on the back, number one, number two, number three out of 100, like whatever. Like there's 500 cards in the set and they're numbered one through 500. And usually those cards are not serial numbered. Okay, last week we talked about ice, right? There were 100 veteran cards, right? And then there were like 50 short printed rookie cards. And then you had the super short printed rookie cards, which were serial numbered. So when I say numbered and serial numbered, these are two different things. Usually a set is not serial numbered, but then there are parallels that are serial numbered. I'll give you this example. Upper Deck Series 1, Series 2, Extended Series. You have the UD exclusives that are serial numbered out of 100, and then the high gloss that are serial numbered out of 10. And so those are parallels of the set. Or if it's something like maybe the cup, you might have a card that's numbered out of 99, but then you might have the gold version that's numbered out of 59 or 49 or 25 or whatever. Usually when something is serial numbered, it is a parallel of the thing that is not serial numbered. Here, they're trying to tell us, oh yeah, these cards that you get a bunch of, nah, those aren't the cards. Those are parallels of the cards. Well, I buy that sometimes because like with OPG, you have like the red border parallel, the blue border parallels. I think the red ones are numbered. I know the pink ones are numbered, but like sometimes like, say like the blue ones are not numbered and the black ones are numbered, right? So it kind of varies depending on the color, if it's got a serial number or not, but it's meant to be a parallel of the normal cards in the case of OPG with like white borders. Are you talking about the regular ones or platinum? Uh, I wasn't talking about platinum, but yeah, just like regular. I know platinum has its own set of parallels, all sorts of parallels too. Yeah, I know with last year's, the rainbows were out of 350. The black rainbows were 100. Neon pink was 75. Rainbow green was 33. And then there's a red border and the blue border, which weren't numbered. Side note, Opeachy didn't always used to be like that, though. No. They had, like, maybe one parallel and a retro, and that was it. So it's hard for me to buy into the fact that the cards that you get a lot of are not the base set are the parallels as far as i'm concerned the ones that are numbered out of 13 are the parallels or the ones that are numbered out of 23 are the parallels but that's the way i'm looking at it it's like when upper deck tells you you might get an autograph card or you might get this aurum well not in this set but in like other sets remember they're doing the aurum cards and those counted as like a hit right everybody's like a hit it's like, what, what the hell is this, right? Well, it's a card that you only get one in every other box. It's like, why couldn't I have I had the box with the autograph in it? You know what I mean? Right. So yeah. I don't know. Like, 
let me say this though about the design of the cards and i only have the red ones i didn't get any of the numbered out of 13 so you got um, no base cards <laughs> yeah you bought a box much. and got no base cards yeah one box all inserts and parallels mm-hmm. right yep. yeah exactly um right Here's what I like about the set, though, like as far as the design goes. And if it was, you know, I mean, I like the red. I don't have a problem with the red. I'd like to see what the cards normally look like or the base cards look like. But they have the PETG plastic, so they have acetate parts. But then they have like a die cut foil board part that's put over it. But then there's like a see-through portrait of the player on the front of the card, like a little cutout circle. And Tim, you said this reminded you of some of the Pacific sets from the late 90s and early 2000s, where you'd have a little headshot that was yeah. printed on like see-through plastic, almost like a slide or a negative, but in positive colors, not in the reversed colors. That's straight up Pacific Invincible. 97, 98, they did it. And then again in 2003, 04. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. Think of the old, what is it, 84 tops with the circle? Yep. Yeah. It's kind of like that, only the circle is now a see-through picture of the of the player. Or think of Pinnacle Mint, but instead of the hole, it's got a acetate see-through picture of the player. Ah, yeah, Pinnacle Mint. What a, what a mess. I was going through my Pinnacle Mint cards the other day, and, like, the first year they put out Pinnacle Mint, I'm off topic here, but, like, Pinnacle Mint, for those of you who don't... a 30-card set? Yeah, well, not counting all the variations. Right. So Pinnacle Mint, if you can imagine, it was a set of slightly... The first year, they were slightly thicker. So Pinnacle Mint, I think it was 96, 97, and 97, 98. And the first year, they were thicker than normal cards, and they had a hole in them. And then there were also coins, and you'd put the coin in the hole in the card. The problem was, was that the coin was thicker than the card. So like if you put the coin in the card and then you put it in a card page, it was still kind of lumpy and sometimes the coin would pop out. So they didn't really store too nicely. The next year, they got smart and Pinnacle made the cards thicker so that when you put the coin into it, it actually held the coin nicely like it was kind of flush on the top and the bottom so it would slide into a binder page a little bit better the thing though is that like with pinnacle mint you had like the set with holes and then you had like the same cards that had like a bronze coin or a silver coin basically like foil embossed circle but not like the same coin if i remember correctly because the coins were like headshots of the players so that's what tim is alluding to here when he says like it's pinnacle mint it's like a circular shape with a headshot of the player. Yeah. So card with a circle cut out of it. I mean, that's what it boils down to. So whether it reminds you of Pacific Invincible or Pinnacle Mint or whatever, that's what it looks like. So I want to just mention some of the parallels. Well, allegedly there's only four parallels of the base set. So there's red and red codes. Those are the ones with the scratch off codes on the back. AKA the cards that I'm calling the base cards, the red, and then the red codes. Gold are numbered out of 25. And then there are purple parallels that are either numbered out of five or numbered out of 99, depending what card it is. But then 
there are inserts and there are a lot of inserts. There are 64 different insert sets and I am not going to read them all out to you because that would be fun for no one. But I will tell you just some of the insert sets. So you have Cast for Greatness, which are printed on metal. I've seen those cards before. They are nice. They usually do a good job with those. Mm -hmm. I'll give them that. Yes, they have a nice heft to them. They feel nice. Not quite heavy enough to be a paperweight, but definitely a very solid card. Very nice card. Uh, And then you have signed versions of those. Now these cranked up acetate cards... Some have current players, some have former players. Like I got one of Johnny Busick. Okay, awesome. Awesome to see the Chief. As a Bruin or as a Red Wing? Uh, see, a, a Red Wing would be a little too obscure. But no, as a Bruin, as he should be. But they're numbered out of six ninety nine. these cranked up inserts. But then there's gold versions numbered out of 1, black versions numbered out of 10, pink numbered out of 25, green numbered out of 65, Purple numbered out of 99 and blue numbered out of 249. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different versions of the same card. I got nothing to say to that. No, no. Other than maybe it's a little, (laughs) as as I like to say about all the parallels, deck gonna deck. That's what deck does. I mean, every manufacturer is doing that now and jumping on the whole rainbow thing. I don't know. When does the rainbow bandwagon play itself out? That's what I wonder. When I was your age, no, not your age, but I still remember the first hockey set to have a parallel set. I know you know what it is because you're still building it. And I sold out and bought it. You're talking about the Topps Gold set? Yeah, 9293 Tops. Yeah. You know, when you have one, it's okay. And then, like, they did black gold, but it wasn't for, like, the whole set. It was just some of it. Right. And I was like, okay, that's fine. It's more of an insert than anything else. But now we're at the point where it's like, you just expect it. There's a base, and there's a red, and a green, and a blue, and a yellow, and a animal print, and a, you know, neon purple. And it's every set and every year. I mean, just like we were talking about a minute ago, you know, Opeachy has just the base Opeachy. How many different parallels are there to the base cards? It never used to be like that. And now it's like there's 10 versions of every card. I'll give it this. At least with Synergy, they're numbered. Yes. So I'll give them that. When you get parallels that aren't numbered, it kind of takes away the, well, what's the point of this if you're not going to number it and make it less? Because if you don't know if it's less, then what difference does it make? I mean, a lot of times on the secondary market, you'll see parallels sell for just as much, if not even less than the base cards. Right. Because then the base cards become more rare. And in this case, they're absolutely more rare. Right. Yeah. So there's another um, insert called Light Up the Night. These would have fit in really well with, say, Metal Universe, because it has like a player in front of a nighttime sky. So it definitely has a Metal Universe vibe to it. And these are numbered. When I first saw those on the sell sheet, Yep. I thought they were going to, like, go together. Like, I thought the design was such that, like, you could put them side by side and it would make, like, a bigger picture. But I guess it doesn't. No, they all use, like, the same design. And there's, like, different versions. 
There's gold, green, pink, blue, and neon yellow. <laughs> of course there is. Because why not, right? Oh, but you'll find this interesting. Glow Shift came back as an unannounced insert. Oh, okay. Those are the glow in the dark cards, and they're pretty cool. I like them. I wish they I were a little dark. Yeah, I, I wish they were a little easier to come by, especially in like years past when I'd be like, oh, that's cool. I want to collect this set. And I find out that like they're selling for like 50 to $75, depending. I mean, I think I got a Chris Chelios for like 25 or $30, and I was just happy that it wasn't like 50 or $60. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid who collected comic books, my first job was at a comic book store. And I remember one of the things I did was I tracked down every glow-in-the-dark comic book that had ever been made. Because there was a time where there were only five books that had glow-in-the-dark covers. And I had all of them. And I bagged and boarded them. And then I used double-sided carpet tape hang them on my wall and when i'd go to bed at night they'd all glow and i just thought that was cool yeah it wasn't cool i mean i was a total dork still am but you know i mean there's something to be said for those like i got the what was it alan and ginter a couple years ago like the things you're scared of Mm -hmm. those were glow in the dark i got that set because i thought it was pretty cool i don't know man i don't know what's cooler glow in the dark or holograms like, just go back to the 80s, like, just think of that 80 vibe. I, I think holograms were still cooler, but glow-in-the-dark was just, there was just something so cool about it, you know? Like, that eerie green glow, you know what I mean? That's just, it's just kind of neon, but not bright green like Luke Skywalker's lightsaber, but kind of like a spooky green, like something you'd see in, like, Halloween, you know? It's something that, it doesn't have a light in it. Why is it lit up? Is it made right. of something from outer space? Is it alien? Right. I think they should have made those the light up the night ones be glow in the dark. That Uh, would make that would have made more sense. Yeah, you know that would have. Funny what you could learn in a podcast. Like we just discovered a new insert, light up the night. Well, not discovered. We've recreated the insert and made it better. This little brainstorming session. There you go. Uh, What else do we have here? So there's rookie journeys, which are numbered with different parallels. There's synergistic duos, star legends, which are like a star player and a legend player. And then there's synergistic duos, star rookies, which are a star player and then a rookie player. And then again, numbered with parallels, both of those. There's one called Thrill Rides that has like a roller coaster behind the player. I actually kind of find them kind of cheesy. Doesn't this look like something you'd find in MVP? Thrill rides. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Kind of. Maybe. That's also more of a Fleer type design. And those are not numbered. And then you have stars of the show, which are also not numbered. So it's kind of weird that like you're like numbered card, numbered card, numbered card. Wait, not a numbered card. Okay. There's another one called 2030. And it looks like the player on like a close encounters of the third kind poster because there's like a giant ufo hovering over them at least that's what i think it is so it's like the player and then it says 2030 and i guess if you think back to like if you remember back in my day we didn't have 2030 we had team 2000 
And then we had Team 2001. And those came out in like 92 and 93. Like, here are the players that are going to be playing in the year 2000. Like, Pear Juice and Bobby Dallas and Tim Shevelday. Okay, not to pick on all Red Wings players, but you get my point. Right? Like, hey, you go. Bobby yeah. Dallas was a penguin, too. But you look at some of those Team 2000 inserts or Team 2001 inserts from back of the day, and you go, yeah, I could see Jeremy Roenick playing in the year 2000. Yeah, I know Yarmer Yager will be playing in the year 2000 or the year 3000 because we're talking about Yager now. But then, like, some of those guys that they'd pick for, like, those Team 2000 or Team 2001 inserts, like, kind of fizzled out by, like, the mid-90s, like, Stefan Beauregard, no disrespect, but still. So is that what this is supposed to be? Players that will be playing at the end of the decade? I'm assuming so. I sure but, hope they don't have like the Crosbys and the McDavid's in that checklist. <laughs> you know, I don't know, but yeah, Crosby could play. Uh, yeah, you're pushing it. 17, 27, would be two. You know what? Yeah. 22 you, years seems to be the shelf life. I look at like someone like Steve Eiserman, who like what he played from like 18 to like 42, 83, 84 to 05, 06. If so Crosby 21 makes it four more years, I'll be shocked. Okay. Well, so anyways, giant UFO. I did open a box of these and I did pull a Maddie Beneers autograph, which was probably the best autograph that you could get the rookie of the year for this year and I got an autographed card of his but it makes up for all those <laughs> those lackluster capitals cards I got in my last couple of boxes remember <laughs> like in my SP authentic I got Garrett Pilon and then I got Alexei Protoss oh Protoss so, yeah that was yeah. It. that's what I was thinking of you know I got like a lot of capitals in a lot, the last couple of my boxes and I'm like hey a non-capital player oh my god Maddie Beneers okay it is signed on a sticker that's fine. But, you know, it's like the base card. number? It is numbered out of 49. It's like 32 out of 49. And it's got a purple border. I'll post scans in the uh, comments down below if you scroll down and see where it says show notes, links, and images. I'll post the images of these cards there. So that was a nice surprise that I got that, not like a tech card. But... That's the thing, though. You don't get an autograph. You're not guaranteed an autograph in a box. Right. That's the other problem with putting the price tag at 100 bucks. If you're not guaranteed an autograph, that's a little tough. That's why I'm glad the price has come down. And it'll come down even further once for secondary market once these hit EPAC. So what they always do. So what's driving people to buy this if there's not one autograph per box? Is it the bounty program? Because there is a bounty program where well, if you collect the cards, normally, redeem yeah. the codes, blah, 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 you get something. And normally when those when those hit, the case breakers have these things wiped out quickly. When did we say this came out? End of June. End of June. So end of June till now. So two months. I mean, we're essentially two months in. The bounty program's been going on. And there were, it was what, the first 10? get the gold base set and the cast for greatness gold set and then the next 15 get the gold base set if you go on the bounty program website right now as we speak at this recording only one of the base gold sets have been redeemed 
So there's still nine of those and all 15 of the just gold base set. So, hmm. so there's still hope. But again, yeah, there's still hope if you want to chase the bounty. But I mean, that's 125 scratch off codes that you got to pull out. So, and you only get four per box. Yeah. So 50% of the cards in your box or 50% of the red parallel the red cards. have the bounty on them. Essentially, you're going to have to be like, buying these on secondary market because there's no way you could open up enough boxes to get you that point. I shouldn't say no way. I'm sure some of you are plenty rich and have tons of money and will spend it all on synergy. But for those of us that won't, we would have to go after everything on the secondary market. Here's the thing. There are sets where I understand why people buy them. So I understand why somebody buys like SP game used because you want the jersey pieces, or SP Authentic, because you want the Future Watch autos, or Upper Deck Series 1, Series 2, Extended Series. You want the Young Guns, you want to build the base set, Opeachy, you want to build the base set, you want the Marquee Rookies, etc. right? Like, every set has, like, a selling point. Like, the higher-end sets, it's like, well, there's autographs, and there's really good jersey cards and stuff. Okay, I totally get that, even though it's not necessarily for me. I'm not a $200 box of cards kind of guy necessarily. I, I'm more of a set builder. This I can't figure out because it's not really a set builder set. And if you're not even guaranteed an autograph in every box, it doesn't even feel like a hit chaser set. I mean, what's the hit in this box? Like, what would be the hit if you don't get an autograph? What would be like, I didn't get an autograph, but I got this and that's okay too. I mean, really, it would have to be a base card or some other low-numbered parallel of something you really liked. That'd be it. Because if you're not going to get an auto, there isn't anything else. I like the look of this set. And if I got a, a, a ton of these red ones for cheap or for free or for whatever, I'd put the set together because it looks cool. It's a cool-looking set. Now, I'm just talking about the red parallels, a.k.a. not the base cards, I'd even I guess you could make that as the set. I could. It could be your Franken set. I mean, it could. I mean, I would just do all red borders because I'm not going to mess around with the numbered parallel versions of it. 40 years from now, when the world comes to an end and somebody finds your collection buried, they'll look at it and they'll be like, wow, he collected the whole base set, not knowing that it's really the parallel set. Oh, well, wait until they figure out what I did with my 10-11 score hockey set. Oh, did you mix... I mix. Some of you didn't mix regular with glossy. Yeah. So 2010-11 no. score. You rascal. Yes. 10-11 score hockey cards. You got, I don't know, X amount of cards per pack, but one of them was a glossy version. And that was the only difference is that it was glossy. But guess what? When you put it in a nine pocket page, you couldn't tell the glossy card from the non-glossy card. So I said, screw it. Put it in a page, they're all glossy. Exactly. So I just said, screw it. I'm going to just put them all in pages anyways. And I think I bought something like, I bought like five boxes, still didn't have a base set. Combined my glossy with my regular cards, still didn't have a base set. Basically had to do a lot of trading and buying. And it was just a mess. And I know like some collectors like, well, I don't want to mix the glossy and the non-glossy. And I respect that, but... When you put them in a nine-pocket page, 
you know who it's going to piss off whoever deals with my collection when I'm dead and are like taking the cards out of pages and they're going to be like, son of a gun, every fifth card is glossy. Now I can't sell it as a set. I'm one of those people. I couldn't do it. I actually, if you can believe this, I still need nine cards for that set. <laughs> wow. Oh, I mean, are you counting those super short prints that were like one in every five boxes? One through 550. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm nine cards short. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it was a tough set to put together. I probably bought as many boxes as you. Plus, back then, I bought a ton of the retail fat packs because they had almost all base cards in them. And so that's what I was going after. And after a while, I'd buy, I don't know, 10 or 12 of those. And every fifth one would be the exact same as the first one. <sighs> yeah, it was bad. Yeah, you know, we talked about football cards earlier and Panini. and Maybe uh, it's good Panini's going away. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, I'd like to know now what football card collectors think. Like, if someone listens to this show, but you've also collected score football cards or I guess any Panini football card product. But like, I wonder if you had like the same problems trying to put together a score football card set that we had trying to put together a score hockey card set. Well, now I know with, with score football, there's tons of parallels in there now. Mm -hmm. You know, we just had the one parallel or actually we didn't, we, we had more than one. Cause you remember there were the 20th anniversary or 30th mm -hmm. anniversary. Or was it 40th mm -hmm. anniversary? When for for score hockey? Yeah, which one was it? That was, was 30th? 20th. 20th? No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they were the stamp 20th anniversary ones. Mm -hmm. Those were harder to pull. And then there were also the French ones. Yeah. And those were kind of hard to pull also. Yeah. The glossy, I think, were one per pack. So glossy were one per pack. And then what score did like the following years, they're like, well, okay, it was stupid for us to just make the same card but pour, put more gloss on the front. Like People like Sal didn't fall for that. So then they started making them gold parallels instead of glossy parallels. And then that actually makes sense because it looked different. It just had gold borders instead of white borders or whatever. Yeah, eventually they got to the gold and then they also had the red mm -hmm. and the black. And I don't know. I think Canada might have had its own parallel at one point. So getting back to my earlier point, though. Yeah. What were we talking about again? We're talking about what purpose does this set serve oh, yes. other than stuff to collect? Like if you buy a box of cards, like an SP Authentic or an SPX or, well, the cup is obviously the cup, but like any of those sets where you get like an autograph, a Jersey card and a Jersey autograph card, right? Those are what's driving you to buy that set. You're not necessarily interested in the base cards. You might be as well, but probably not. If you're buying a set like OPT or Upper Deck and you end up landing a jersey card or an autograph card, that's a bonus to you because you're probably trying to build the set 1 through 250, 1 through 500, whatever. This set, I don't get. I don't get how it fits in. I can't see somebody saying, I'm going to buy 10 boxes of Synergy and have 80 red cards, give or take, and still not have the full set. So it's not a set builder set. But then I don't feel like it's a hit chaser set because there's really no hits to chase. I mean, I'm not sure what the ratio of autographs is, but if it's not even one per box, then that's tough. It's like one every 2.2 .2 boxes or something. Right. So 
does somebody say, I'm going to buy Synergy because I hope to get the light up the night versions of this card that are numbered out of $6.99, or I want to get the Rookie Journey Red Parallel that's numbered out of $4.99, or I want to get the Synergistic Duos card that's numbered out of $6.99. You see what I mean? Like It's just like, I hope to get the parallel of something, or I hope to get this insert card, or I hope to get this parallel. I mean, we've already discussed it. Like most people don't collect like 90% of the inserts that are out there. Well, and we say it all the time. If that's what you're chasing is a few inserts here and there, buy them secondary because that's where you're going to find them. And that's where you're going to get the price and you're not going to have all this extra stuff lying around. But if you want to bust the product and open product, don't get me wrong. It looks great. The cards are nice. They're kind of crazy. But they're nice. They look really good. The colors are really good. They're on that plastic, you know, PETG, whatever we're going to call it. Mm-hmm. We should come up with a new name for it. We should acetate. Call it, well, that's what they call it. I feel like it's different than acetate, though. Maybe it is. I don't know. But they're la- like Synergy is always layered. Like there's usually like a layer to it. So there's like a backing layer and then a front layer that usually has the player photo on it. You know, these add the other dimension of having the little cutout circle on them. So I'm not going to say they're ugly. They're kind of nice looking. But at the same time, yeah, what are you going after these for? If you're looking for inserts and parallels and low numbered base cards, okay, fine. I guess it's fun to open. But don't go into it thinking you're getting some kind of major powerhouse of a product. Yeah, you might get an autograph or two. You might hit one like you and get probably one of the autographs out of the box. But even still, would you say it's down to about 80 bucks now? Yeah, 85. Yeah, I would. I don't know. This is like a 65, $70 box for me in my mind. Unless it was a whole box, like a hot box of StarQuest. Now that I would buy for 80 bucks. Did you get any StarQuest? I did not. Oh, see. Yeah, because they're like one out of 64 packs, I think. The base ones. Plus there's auto versions of those. Have you seen the ones for next year? They're bringing back the 98-99 design. Ooh. Yeah. I better finish my 98-99 set then. Yeah, so the 98-99 StarQuest. The blue and the red and the green. And the, the elusive golds. That for many years I thought didn't even exist. Yeah, they're bringing those back for next year's Synergy. But this year's Synergy, they're kind of weird looking. They're all die cut and like, I think it's a star turned sideways and then miscut is what it is. Yeah, it's like they took a star, twisted it sideways and cut all the tips of the star off to make it square or rectangle. Mm. Those I wouldn't mind, especially if it was a whole box, like a hot box full of them. But, yeah, or yeah. the glow-in-the-dark ones. I, I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, I see it. It is it is a star that's kind of tilted and then cut. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's actually a pretty cool design. I don't mind the design, and I'm not knocking that. You know, they use, like, that spectrum light effects technology on some of the designs and stuff. It's great. But, yeah, what are we doing with this product? Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it's not a set builder set. I guess it's a bounty set, but... You have to really want that bounty. And like you said, if it's been out for two months now and only one set's been redeemed. Yeah. These bounties usually hit quick. Like the SP bounties, they're gone fast. Yeah, but people have motivation to buy SP because there's upside to buying boxes of SP. 
That's true. There's upside to buying SP or whatever that has like at least some guaranteed hits in it, right? Like you might not get the greatest hit, but you'll get a hit. And this, you might not get a hit unless you count parallels that are numbered out of 249 or 399 or 699 to be hits. I mean, yeah. I guess the base card numbered to 13 would be the hit, but to whom? I guess to the player collector who collects that player or the team collector who collects that team. In the errors and omissions category, I'd like to retract my previous statement. The autographs are one out of 2.666 repeating infinity. That's the odds. And not 2.5 boxes? No, there's six per case. So 16 boxes per case, that's 2.6 infinity. Wow, okay. Way to mislead the listeners there, Tim. Yeah, sorry. sorry, I think I said 2.2. I was off by uh, 0.4. I apologize. Yeah, I, I don't want we, you doing just, my taxes. We just dropped down to 127 on the chart. Yeah, yeah. that just knocked us down. <laughs> we just got knocked out of the top 10 in Germany. Way to go, oh, Tim. Thanks nine! a lot. All right, any last thoughts before I wrap this one up? Because I think I've said everything I can say about Synergy. I like it, but I agree with you. Chase after the singles that you want. Yeah, and here's the thing about Synergy. For the last few years, it has hit EPAC. So if you can hold out and you want to do it on EPAC and you can do it digitally, feel free. I know I looked on Comp C the other day looking for something, and I can tell you there's already Synergy on Comp C. So these must be ones that people have sent in because most of the quantities are very low one, two, three of each card, rather than 400 of each card, like once they hit EPAC. But the prices will go down. So if you're searching for singles and you can hold out a couple more months, you may be able to get some pretty good deals. I didn't All see right. any base cards on there, though, by the way. Mm. No, no, that's, you're not that's going how to. how rare they are. Yeah, anything that's numbered out of 13 is pretty rare. I don't know where they came up with that number. It's weird. Yeah, it is. All right, so before we let you go, I just want to remind everybody that uh, we started a newsletter, a weekly newsletter, the Puck Junk Newsletter. It's an email newsletter, not the kind that's going to come in your physical mailbox at home, but the one that's going to come to your inbox of your email address. So you can sign up for that at puckjunk.com slash newsletter. And I want to thank you all for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast and helping to push us above 150, 140, 130. We're just climbing those charts gradually. And I want to thank you for that. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please take a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this show. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.